And that's almost never a problem, just like everything else in Ruby, right? Like, that's like the story of Ruby is like, it's slow, but it doesn't matter. Episode number 17, December 2014. In this episode, Steve Klabnik explains the observer pattern, its advantages and downsides, its implementation, naming things, and much more. What is the observer pattern and how is it implemented? So the observer pattern is a um, pattern by which an object or some sort of structure can publish updates about what it's doing for other objects to pay attention to. So the idea here is that if you have a situation where there's like five or six objects that need to talk to each other, if you try to set up like super concrete Uh, connections between all those objects, it gets really complicated really quickly because you need like one thing per set of objects, right? And I need to imagine I have five objects that want to know when something in my behavior, when something changes in my object, I would then need to send five messages to tell those people that, uh, you know, something has happened. And um, doing the bookkeeping and managing all that stuff can be very complicated. So what the observer pattern does is it gives you a mechanism where you just say, um, Here's what has changed, and then other objects can subscribe to those changes, and um, the, the, the mechanism will update all of them at once, rather than you having to manually do it. So it sort of decouples the act of producing some sort of change with another object paying attention to that kind of change. Um, so in this example we're talking about here, we have this ticker class, and what it does is it loops forever, and it fetches the current price of a stock Uh, price. And so um, what happens is the ticker includes this, in, in Ruby there's actually a couple of different sort of like patterns that are similar to observable. Um, there's also forwardable as well in the Ruby standard library, it's a little bit different, but basically the, um, the way that this works is the class includes the observable module and then that gives it two methods, one of which is changed and one of which is notify observers. And so the, uh, the changed method says like, hey something has changed, And then notify observers pings all the people that are observing that. So you don't have to worry about the details of how many people are observing you and like in what way they're observing you. You just call the notify observers method and you call changed and then everybody gets updated. And in this particular example, the, um, the uh, worn low and worn high classes um, added themselves as an observer to the actual um, ticker object. And so whenever we have at the bottom here, ticker equals ticker.new, and then worn low.new, worn high.new, and ticker.run. So what happens is when the ticker calls update observers, it will ping the worn low and worn high classes and tell them that something has changed. And um, those, those have an update method that they define, and that's what gets called. So the observing object calls the update method. Um, and that way you don't have to worry about how many people are paying attention. It just the module does it for you. Mm -hmm. So all the observers need this one interface update, right? Yep, the observers only need to know about the update method and the observing or the, the, uh, the ticker um, only needs to know about notify observers. And then every observer can do with the object that they get in whatever they want. Yep. When I first uh, saw the observer pattern, I was asking myself if the observer pattern is a way to avoid dependency injection. Would you say that is kind of maybe One reason? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely true. Um, I would say that it's not 
so much that it's about avoiding dependency injection directly as it is that the same problem that dependency injection solves observers, observables solve in like kind of a different way because it's, it's about dependencies and other objects, right? So the observable pattern removes the need for explicit dependencies and the dependency injection pattern provides a way to override explicit dependencies, right? So they're definitely related, but a little teeny bit different. Um, but yeah, I never thought about that before, actually. That's a really good insight, I think. So what do we think are the big uh, pluses for the observer pattern? Yeah, so there's actually, I can give you a, one example of where it's really great and one example of where it's really bad, actually. So um, the, a variation on the observer pattern um, is called the two-way binding pattern. And what that actually does is it's observer, but in both directions. So you both can notify each other of changes. And this is very heavily used in almost all of the JavaScript front-end frameworks. Um, and so this is really useful because it allows you to separate the data model from the actual um, HTML code, um, which is nice. So you can just develop your HTML to look like what you want. You can develop your data model to like act like what you want and then use this two-way binding to say that like, this field on my object is going to be mapped to this text box or whatever. And when they change the text box, it updates things. So I think that in, in those kinds of like um, GUI situations or like uh, the observable pattern is really, really useful when you're dealing with like graphical user interfaces or just user interfaces in general. Um, one example where it's bad and has worked out is I actually worked on a patch to, um, we had an observer implementation in Rails and I actually worked on a patch to pull that out into a third-party module, and we actually don't include observers with Rails anymore. And the reason why is that we found that when using that pattern in Rails applications, or at least on like the back end of Rails applications, it the problem is is that uh, because you don't have that strong connection, um, you don't know that an operation might be expensive or not. And you also don't know what behavior is necessarily going to happen when you cause a change. So like active record observers were used for like validate that this name is longer than 14 characters or whatever. And so you'd write an observer and it would have a method on it that would validate the username was you know, long enough or whatever. And the problem is you then as a, as a developer, you would go into your app and you would try to make a new user and you get this error message and you go, oh, that's weird. I didn't know it required it to be 14 characters. And you'd look at your user class and your user class would have absolutely nothing whatsoever about making sure that length is long enough. And so then you'd be like, well, where does this happen? Why is this, what is this going on? And so that kind of that distance that the observer pattern provides can also be a negative because it makes interactions feel more complicated. Sounds like a mystery guest problem. Yeah, kind of in a certain way. You just like, the, the, some behavior happens over there and you don't know what's going on. Um, and so that's, those are two examples, yeah, of like when it's good and when it goes bad. Is it generally best implemented as a mix-in using a module in Ruby? Yeah, so that's the way the standard library does it. And um, there's also, excuse me, there's also a related um, kind of thing um, in uh, the standard library as well called forwardable which is more about delegation, which is, you know, delegation and is kind of very similar to um, observable. So sometimes you might not need a ton of different objects to be notified about something. You just want to like pass a message along. And so it's similar, but not the same thing. And so that's also as a module. And so I think that a lot of, a lot of Ruby patterns are implemented as modules. Yeah. Um, and I like using modules in Ruby um, a lot. Mostly because you can mix them into tons of different objects and you don't have to worry about like building a deep, uh, inheritance tree and all that kind of stuff so so you should have a very good reason to implement it in a class and inherit from it 
Yeah, in, I think in Ruby in general, that's true. You should always have a really good reason to be making a super class in Ruby. Um, so, yeah. When is it a good idea to make use of the observer pattern? So the, the time that it's most useful is whenever you want other people to know what's going on with your object, you don't care at all what they do with that information. So this is, this was the, this is the reason why it works in the GUI context is because um, when you have a text box changing, the text box does not care at all that your data model is updating. And so that's good. Um, the reason that it was bad in the Rails example was similar. Like it, it was bad because you did actually care what the observer was doing with the stuff that you were updating. And so I think that's when it's most useful is like you have things that want to pay attention to something that's going on, but you don't care about what they're doing. You have a strong sense of encapsulation between you and them. Another situation where this pattern is useful is um, when you're updating a lot of other objects, and so it may take a long time and you want to do it asynchronously in the background, um, then this pattern becomes very useful because then when you say update notifiers, and this doesn't work in the standard Ruby implementation, but like if you wrote your own, you could do this, where when you call notify observers, that would then say kick off a background job that would do all the notifications, right? And that way, your actions would happen like, immediately rather than waiting on, um, you know, pinging a ton of things. And this happens often whenever the, um, we don't, so we tend to think about the observer pattern as happening within one, um, like one code base. But this is kind of what happens with like Twitter, for example, right? Is like I subscribe to your updates and you, you notify me. Um, and then that, because that happens over the network, we want that to happen asynchronously. And so we put in a background job or whatever, but it's sort of just like an observer pattern over multiple, you know, websites, which is kind of also, yeah, interesting as well. Like these bigger pattern. Can you name a few projects or slash technologies that make obvious use of the observer pattern? Yeah. Um, I'd say the biggest one is definitely, uh, two-way bindings in JavaScript frameworks. They use them a lot. Can you explain for beginners what this is? Oh, yeah. So um, the, the idea with two-way bindings is that you have, it's like the observer pattern in both directions. So you, um, you have a text box on your website and you have your you know, JavaScript objects that has some information that should be in the text box. So when you update the object in the code, you want the text box to change. And when someone clicks on the text box and changes the number, you want it to update in your code as well. So there's this, like this two-way observer, two-way binding between the two of them. Um, and that's, that's used to keep those things in sync. And that's really, really useful. Um, so I would say that's definitely the, the biggest use. Um, lots and lots of GUI libraries use this um, concept. So like the Smalltalk ones and like some Ruby ones um, use these kinds of things as a mechanism for you know, notifying that stuff has changed. Um, and uh, yeah, those, I would say those are the two big, the two big uses. And what about uh, chat software? They must be also using something like this. Yeah, I guess this comes back to what we we're saying about like between multiple sites and smaller sites. So like uh, chat definitely uses a variation of this to ping people, you know, elsewhere on the network, not inside of your same code base. But it's definitely a super related concept. Um, any notable downsides of using this pattern? Yeah. So the the big downside is that if you don't have strong encapsulation then it can make your code base very confusing. So if you do care what they do with your updates, or if their update affects you in some significant way, then it can hide behavior. So because it happens somewhere else, um, this is actually really funny. So uh, Alan, I think it was Alan Kay said this about object-oriented programming. Someone asked him like what, you know, uh, or no, small talk, about small talk, like uh, what, 
what's a good small talk code base look like or what's a good OO code base? I'm butchering this quote. I don't remember exactly. But the point is, is he said, uh, in a good code base, everything happens somewhere else, which is kind of like a joke, you know? Um, but it's definitely related to this observable pattern. So, you know, when you do some sort of action, you cause this ripple effect somewhere else. And that can be good because it's de, de uh, it's, it's further away. Yeah, it's like de-encapsulated, but it's also bad because it's happening over there and you don't see it, right? So it's a pro and a con, depending on what you're doing. The observable pattern is really about um, removing a dependency between things. And so if you care about the dependency, then it's bad. If you don't care about the dependency, then it's good. What about um, naming schemes? Is it important to use a common naming scheme when implementing a design pattern? For example, um, like standard name, standard names for methods and variables. In this case, for the observer pattern, we have add observer, remove observer, notify observer, update. Is it um, really important to use a naming scheme? I would think that in general, it's always useful to use the default name unless you have a significant reason not to. And that's because people will learn what those names are and it helps them understand your code more quickly if they see the same name in the same place. Um, so I would definitely, it's not, it's not a requirement, but you need to have a good reason for doing something else. Uh, in Ruby, you can make use of this pattern out of the box with the standard library mm -hmm. uh, with the module observable. When should you consider writing your own implementation in Ruby? One good reason to build another one is that the built-in Ruby one is actually kind of slow, if I remember correctly. Um, and that's almost never a problem, just like everything else in Ruby, right? Like, that's like the story of Ruby is like, it's slow, but it doesn't matter. Um, but I have heard people say that, like, it's not that, uh, like, the internals are not super um, well written in the sense that they work well, but, like, they're not fast. Um, so that might be a good reason. Another one is whenever you... Um, if your requirements are a little bit different, so like if you, for example, observable, if you wanted to use it to implement that two-way binding thing that I was talking about, you need to like use observable twice, and it might be better just to write your own implementation that does both directions um, rather than use the standard library observable. And maybe you're, when you build your own, you use that as an implementation detail or something, but if you, if you don't need exactly what it gives you, then it can be a good reason to, to build a new one. Um, but I think it's a pretty good uh, interface overall. Mm -hmm.